You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy to us once again this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for um, the time of worship that we've had or will have this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for you, Lord Jesus, you um, who deigned to come and be born as a baby in Bethlehem and who will return to judge us um, one day. And we thank you, Lord, that your blood is placed between us and God's judgment. Uh, now in this life and then also in the hour of our death. And so we ask, Lord, that this morning, once again, you would be pleased to visit us mightily with your Holy Spirit, that you would draw our hearts and minds to you, to the knowledge of you, and to um, to a sense of your walking with us, even as we walk along this way, even as we seek to follow you in this life. And so we ask, Lord, once again, that you would again make us your children, um, cause that truth to be in our hearts once again this morning, that we would be transformed into your likeness, that we would bear forth um, your character to the world in need. And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you all um, here this morning. I uh, loved hearing some people that I loved hearing that there were some people that were actually reading through First John between last week and this week. I hope you saw it is so rich. It is so deep. There is so much in this short letter, so much that repeats itself, um, and so many themes that pop up again and again and again. Um, did you notice anything in reading it that you would like to share with the group? Anything? Love. Yeah. Love again and again and again. We need to hear it a lot of times, right? It's a command that we could hear every day or every hour of every day or every moment of every day because we're so prone to not do it. Um, there's also, did you notice John's symphonic style? Like I said, that it's almost as though there's a theme that's picked up and then it circles back around and he'll repeat it just the way a symphony will introduce a theme and then a symphony will, um, thank you so much, a symphony will, um, a symphonic writer will uh, uh, address the theme, bring it back up and then change it a little bit, introduce a new component and then uh, carry it on again through a symphony. Well, that's the way John writes. It's not so much linear. Um, for those of us who are linear, we have to sort of get out of our box to be able to read John's letter, um, first letter here. Well, we talked two weeks ago about Christians. Who are Christians? Well, Christians, according to John, are those who walk in the light. Um, we are ones who, um, uh, who obey, who follow Jesus both to a destination, and we follow Jesus also in the way that we live our lives, Lord willing. We imitate him in his character of holiness. And this idea of walking, walking in the light, or walking as a way of understanding the way we live in this life, the way we behave in this life, is something that's um, carried back through the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this um, phrase, halakha, was used for the law, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it was directly translated the way of walking, the way of behaving. So just think, not only John, but also Paul in the epistles talks about walk this way, walk in the truth, walk in the life, walk in this sort of behavior that imitates Christ. And so we follow Jesus. <laughs> just like the first disciples, we leave everything to follow him. Just like um, he said to his disciples on the road to the cross, take up your cross and follow me. We seek to imitate him in the way we live our lives. And part of this involves 
and we heard about this in our first week, part of walking in the light involves telling the truth. Telling the truth in a couple of different ways. Telling the truth about Jesus and telling the truth about ourselves. Well, the truth about Jesus involves that he is fully God and fully man. John, in his letter, we saw the first week, says that if you don't believe either one of those things, then you can't really say that you are truly a, um, a Christian, that those are both essential for believing in Jesus. Another aspect of believing the truth about Jesus involves seeing him as our Savior. And John uses two words in particular, two big $10 words, for understanding what it means that Jesus is our Savior. He is our advocate, like our defense attorney, and he is, our, he is the propitiation for our sins essentially the offering for sin that turns away the wrath of God. It turns away judgment and condemnation and stands. he is one who stands in our place so that we might then stand in his place so that we would see, receive forgiveness and freedom and even righteousness on his behalf. And so Christians, yes, we walk in the light. Yes, we tell the truth about Jesus and ourselves. Um, as we tell the truth about Jesus, we also tell the truth about ourselves, that we are sinners in need of a savior. Um, you heard me say up there, if you're in church at nine o'clock, if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. We are sinners in need of a savior. We also, as Christians, we keep Jesus's commandments. We keep God's commandments. And this is something that John calls doing truth. He calls it, it's an interesting phrase that he alone will use, that we do truth when we obey him. We live out the truth so that the truth is not just this intellectual assent, but truth is actually the involved in the way we live our lives, bears witness to the truth of who God is. We do truth. We obey him. And we obey specifically the commandment to love. Love God um, and love our neighbor, to love one another even as Christ has loved us. Um, and we saw that um, this love, this obedience, this keeping uh, God's commandments is something that we have to ask, well, how does John see this playing out? And I'm going to linger here a little bit more before we get on to new material for this week. Well, how do we keep his commandments? Well, we keep his commandments, and John would say this, and we'll say this as we see this week, by being born again through water and spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and we keep his commandments by abiding in Christ. And he abides with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, we keep God's commandments only through God's grace. Because, as we see in John, um, we saw last week in 1 John 4, um, that uh, God has loved us first. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We saw that last week. We love horizontally um, in response to the love that we've received from God. Indeed, his love is even placed within our hearts. And then it's as though he is operating through us in loving other people. And we looked at this character of love. What is, uh, what is it about this love of God and this love that we have in response? Um, well, the... There is a sense as Christians that we have this perfect love. Love, um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Um, we obey not out of fear of judgment for disobedience, but we obey voluntarily out of love. I talked a little bit last week, and I didn't get a chance to go into it as deeply as I would like to have gone in, so forgive me for 
digging in a little bit here. Last week I talked about the fear of the Lord that you see all throughout Scripture. And this is a good fear. The fear of the Lord is the healthy fear. It's the fear of the natural man in presence of holy God. Um, his glory, his majesty, his holiness, his character of righteousness causes us, like Isaiah in um, Isaiah 6, and like Peter when he encounters Jesus in the boat, and um, there's the miraculous catch, and he falls down on his face. Um, as someone recently said, probably on a pile of fish. And he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. There is that sense of fear, that sense of reverential awe at the goodness, at the holiness, at the righteousness of the Lord, and a sense of our own unrighteousness. Well, the fear of the Lord is a good fear. It's involved in worshiping here, worshiping him. But this kind of fear here is the fear of judgment. This is, again, something that a natural man or woman outside of Christ would have. We probably know a lot of people that are not concerned about Judgment Day, even as Andrew was so um, preaching in such a timely way about the second coming of Jesus. There are some who don't believe that that's going to happen. And so they don't live their lives with a sense of urgency, with a sense of there being a divine judge who will judge our actions um, at the end of this life. And so the natural man should indeed fear Judgment Day, but often doesn't. But for us as Christians, we are free from this fear of judgment because the fear of the Lord or the love of the Lord, this reverential awe and trust, has driven out the lesser fear. We even see this in Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How beautiful. I can't help but just keep going on. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, This craven fear of judgment is dispelled by the realization, realization that we are justified by faith through Christ, faith in Christ, And that we realize also, as um, one writer says, that we are partakers of the divine nature. God himself has come to dwell in us. And therefore, miraculously, despite ourselves, in this life even, we become like God in the way we live out our lives. That is a great way to describe sanctification. I am a partaker in the divine nature by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. God himself has come to dwell in me. And therefore, I am like God. Somehow, again, I'll add miraculously and despite ourselves. And so we're going to see this in these um, verses that we're looking at today from 1 John. How are we like God? How do we become his children? Um, And so does someone want to read these first two verses from John chapter 2 that have to deal with being born of God? And we're going to go on to chapter 3 a little bit. um, And then we're going to keep going in chapter 3 after that. Can anybody see that to read it? Scott? Yeah. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in some in shame of his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Any thoughts or observations as you look at this? I did cheat and give you italics a little bit. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's not a leading question, I promise. So, so there was a verse from last yeah. week that I posted. Yeah. On Facebook person. It was the one about, you know, if we have belongings and don't give to our brother or we 
truly or, or to anyone, I guess even our enemy, or we truly are Christian basically. So, yeah. And so this friend of mine who's a pastor, one of the I guess, said, so am I a Christian? <laughs> How much do I have to give yeah. to be following? And I said, well, you know, that's the first word, that's the law. Mm -hmm. And then the second word is, um, you know, that um, we've been born in him, we're born of him, but he exists in us. And um, so I don't know, I mean, I think there is, I always have to read First John and Peter, particularly, and James, mm -hmm. through the lens of Christ saying that the cross you know, Father, forgive him. So he forgave his murderers. Mm -hmm. So if he forgave the people that murdered him, you know, was it for an hour? Was yeah. it for the rest of that day? I mean, I think forgiveness of Christ has to be eternal. Yeah. And if he forgave those who murdered him, then I have a little hope. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, Absolutely. Yeah. And do you see how it's like a dog chasing its tail? Because we get right back around it. And we say, and the ones who have been forgiven and freed, who have the Holy Spirit, mirac again, I'll say, miraculously, by the grace of God, have the power through the Holy Spirit to then live out in amazing risk-taking yeah. ways. And so that sign of that risk, that willingness, even as Andrew was talking about in his sermon, to leave behind all the stuff. Um, and, and to focus on the most important things. And essentially, we don't have to necessarily leave behind all the stuff literally all the time because that can be useful. It can be used to God's glory. Um, and, but it's so that it doesn't cling on our hearts, essentially that our hearts are free um, to be able to live out our faith in radical ways. Well, so we see here God's love involves this miracle of being adopted by him. We heard it in Romans 8 just before this, right? Um, the spirit of adoption. We are adopted as God's sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is given to us, and the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We're heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. And there is this sense in which um, this Holy Spirit calls out from our hearts, calls God Father, and even as many of you know, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father. We call out to God the Father. Um, part of this is also seen, we're going to see it in um, the next few verses in John chapter 3. Does someone want to read um, these verses uh, for us? Okay. Yeah, thank you, Laura. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What do you know? Do you notice anything about this particular part in these next few verses moving along into the beginning of chapter 3? I just love the assurance that it's not a striving for your holiness or purification. It's just by entering in or surrendering to be Christ or God's child. And right. that this is almost a promise of what's going to transpire. Yeah. It can be said again and again. We could brainstorm. What, are, what does it mean to be a child? What does a child have or possess by very nature of being a child of another person? A child, there's the legal status, right? And that's maybe the way the world sees it. You inherit. You stand to inherit upon the parent's death. There's so much more than that. 
being children involves being legal heirs, yes, but there's also what else? DNA. DNA, yeah. There's a shared nature. Um, there's a shared nature in that that the child has doesn't have anything to do with, unfortunately or fortunately. You know, they just <laughs> stand to inherit. And isn't it fun? We have had this joy of the last nine months of figuring out, you know, when she was born, she looked just like Scott. When she now she has this glimmer of Deborah, and now she's got something else that's entirely her own. But you just sort of see these little ways in which each child will take after each parent in turns, or even grandparents. Um, so there is that sense of likeness and imitation, the same character, the same nature, the same DNA. There's also this sense, uh, what else, of um, proximity. I love my child, yes, because of who she is, but more because of the bond that exists be between us. I mean, I love her for all of those reasons, but there is such a tangible bond that cannot be broken between us that will always be there. There is also, because of that, there is a sense of intimacy. There's that proximity. I've thought about it. You know, two human beings, the, two human beings cannot get any closer than a mother and child. You know, there's, you just don't get any closer physically to another human being than that. Um, so I think about that closeness, that love, um, even a sense of chosenness. That's where this um, view of adoption, being adopted as children of God, um, the way Paul talks about it in Romans has something, there's something so beautiful about that because with this adoption, there is this choice, this election and choosing this child that was not my child is now my child, my heir, even considered flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone to echo Adam about Eve. But there is that election, that choosing of a child by adoption. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Anything else you would notice about what it means to be a child? Oh, I just, I mean, yeah, please, Hanno. Language about seeing like, yeah. in John is just amazing. And so, so the proof is, you know, going to what you were talking about with your friend asking, you know, the proof is in actually what you see. And so, you know, he talks about seeing, you know, kind of love the Father and down there we shall see him as he is. Yeah. That's just echoing, was it John 1? Or in a fan. Try Yes. Yes. Anything that come out of, it was John 1. Out of Nazareth, and he says, Come Behold. and see. Behold. And then you think you've seen Baptist something? Behold. I'm going to paraphrase it. You think you've seen something? You haven't seen anything yet, right? What does he say? You'll see angels yes. ascending and yeah. descending on the Son of Man. Yeah. Is, is that, that's not what you meant. I'm sorry, I'm not listening no, very well. I think it's what Andrew kind of goes to Nathaniel. Yes. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Andrew says, come and see, you know. Yeah. So so the proof is, you know, this is not some yeah. leap in the dark. You know, yeah. The proof is there. It's yeah. just something to see. Yeah. And, and then the family resemblance beautiful. as well. Yeah. You, can, you know, you can see this child belongs to this parent. Yeah. You can see this Christian belongs to God. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's great. Thank you so much for that. That's a beautiful addition. Um, so we are, oh, yeah, Nancy. I was just thinking, too, that children look to their parents for guidance. So yes. Yes, it's all throughout John's letter, so we're going to see more of it. But yeah. Abiding in him is also looking to him, spending time with him, and choosing that so that we are then filled up with yes. love. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so let me say that louder so people can hear it that this abiding, children uh, look to their parents for how to live. Um, and so abiding is our way of looking to. God to see how should we live as his children. 
it's true too, um, isn't it true of children? It's so interesting, this nature versus nurture debate. What is biology and what is not? And it's so interesting how much they're finding out. You know, I was reading something about epigenetics, which is how um, genetic, your DNA is altered or changed based on behavioral stuff early on, how you're treated or how, what your environment is like, which is kind of terrifying to think about that um, on one level, that there's a lot, there's a lot of nurture that influences nature even. Um, and so that reverse sense in which uh, nurture and environment influences our character even biologically, genetically, is mind-boggling. And that is essentially what we're seeing here in scripture is that we are, um, we are united with Christ. Um, we're united with God through Christ. We share in the very life of God. I love um, John's gospel for this reason. There's, there's a couple, there are a couple of verses in John's prologue in chapter 1. And so I'm just going to read them aloud to you. And here you'll hear a lot of this similar language and similar theology. The true light, Jesus Christ, of course, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This sense of being born based on God's um, desire, his own will for us to be his children. I love this language too, beloved. We are beloved of God. We are loved enough um, to be adopted by God. It's his gracious action on our behalf that makes us his children and then that causes us to be like him. And we hear this again, not just in John 1, but also in this famous passage, of course. I'm sure many of you were thinking of this in John chapter 3 when the Pharisee Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Um, He comes by night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus challenges him. Jesus answered him, answered a question that wasn't asked. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't that great language about being born again? And Nicodemus takes him literally. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We Christians are ones who, by faith in Jesus, are born again of water and the Spirit. Any thoughts about that passage? Um, Yeah, Nancy. Speaking of when you said that about epigenetics, I said, well, then that gives us hope if we're born again of God. Yes. Still reform the yes. whole thing. Yeah. That sin nature. Yes, right? <laughs> our original sin, our DNA, our tainted DNA from our human, you know, original first human parents. Yes, any baggage, our emotional baggage, he can take it away, which is really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks for saying that, Nancy. That's great. Yeah, God can take away even that which seems nature, natural to us, um, and especially sin especially baggage emotionally. Thank you for that, Nancy. That's great. 
Um, this idea of the Holy Spirit, too. Um, remember that Jesus stood up in John's Gospel at the great, on the last day of the feast in John 7 and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus uh, prophesies there that what will happen, um, and John is saying, not yet, but it will happen, about after Jesus dies and rises from the dead and ascends into heaven. And sure enough, um, after that, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and began dwelling in the hearts of believers. And they were um, transformed to miraculously be able to bear witness to his his deeds, Jesus' deeds. And then also the Holy Spirit generates from within us fruit of righteousness. I think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those things that we cannot generate on our own. God puts his very nature within us when he gives us his Holy Spirit, pouring out like rain on a waiting vessel. We are like cups or pitchers. Um, I think pitchers are even better because then we are poured out um, in his service, waiting to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And he delights to fill us again and again because we're pitchers with cracks that leak um, his presence. And so that's part of this abiding, involves staying in his presence, receiving again and again and again his Holy Spirit that will transform us. God puts love, his love within us. Um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we are then shown to be ones who by nature love selflessly the way that he loves. Um, this is through the power of the word and the spirit. If you can bear with me, I have this quote that I really love from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has a wonderful book on First John, that if you want to go further in studying this book, it's a gem. You could read one a day and it would be deeply um, thought-provoking and enriching spiritually for you. It's called Life in Christ is his book. And on this um, particular passage in chapter 3, he says, Let us never again think of the Christian as just someone who is trying to live a good life, trying to be a little bit better than someone else, a person with a belief in doing certain things, going through certain forms and ceremonials, and keeping certain regulations dictated by the church. Christians do all that. But before all that is this vital fact that they are children of God. They have been born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. They have received something of the very nature and life of God himself. They are transformed people. They are a new creation. And they are thus absolutely, essentially different from those who have not experienced that. That is the very basic thing which the New Testament everywhere emphasizes concerning the Christian. That's exciting. That's a lot more exciting than checking the box on going to church or doing the deeds that will show us to be Christians to the rest of the world or to the rest of our bridge club or the rest of whoever. Um, this born again, uh, this aspect of being born again involves something that is totally God's work within us. We cannot generate it on our own. Okay. Does someone want to read these next? Oh, there's my quote. Sorry. <laughs> um, does someone want to read this next passage from further on in chapter 3? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Thank you, Hanno. This is a little more sobering, right? Because we recognize as Christians that we still have sin. And John addresses that in chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? But we, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John here is talking about this habitual, ingrained, rooted-in sin and this refusal to repent, a refusal to look soberly at our lives and say, that might be me. I've had, um, had one experience recently where there was a conflict between two people. I have this, forgive me, this is not true all the time, but I think maybe 80% of the time, any kind of conflict between people involves both people. Even if you hear one side of it and you only hear you know, that one person's been doing all bad stuff or whatever, the only one person's been wronging the other person, There's, I really believe it takes two to make it and I believe it takes two to break it. Um, there are some exceptions to this and I know that, but, but I think that they're fewer and farther between than we would like and so, or than we would think. And so I think that whenever there is conflict or trouble or trial, um, what happens in the humble Christian heart is to say, Lord, search me and know me. What have I done? Would you show me my sin for what it is? And so there's that willingness to humble ourselves and confess, willingness to be found wrong or to have done wrong, even though it seems like more wrong has been done to us. Um, and there's that humility to confess our sins. There's this language of abiding here in him. Abiding in Christ is part of what it means to be his child. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Do you hear that again? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Again, this is God's work in us. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of, of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's, it's hard to hear this. Any thoughts about this before I go on to... Um, quickly look at John 15, which we'll talk about abiding. Well, I think it's true of all of us, which is what you were saying. Yeah. If you go back to how he starts it off, he says, if we say that we have no sin in us, then you're a liar. So bearing that in mind, and this is why the first use of the law in a way is it's, you know, convicting us. Yeah. And we say, who am I? <coughs> you know, reconcile with who am I? Yeah. What, what is it that I bring to the table? And then you go back to the fact that you're a child of God. Right. And is and we forgive our children. Yes. Right. If we yeah. continue to love our children even when they you know, move to Oregon or whatever Paul's on <laughs> you know, what gets, Yeah. Even if they move to Oregon, if we still love them. Yes. And how much more does God yeah. does God love us yeah. as his children? Thank you, Alice. There is that circular aspect to it. We hear the law, we're convicted of our sin, we fall to our knees. We receive once again God's forgiveness, his grace and mercy. We're confirmed. Yes, no, I am a child of God. I am his child through adoption, through Christ. And now I'm raised to new life in him once again. I often think of that raising to new life as simply being, I'm, you know, in a very daily practical way. I've been on my knees confessing my sin, and I'm literally raised to standing now to go and face the world renewed, um, forgiven, healed and ready to show forth his character of love to the hurting and broken world around me. Yeah. Um, and 
Yeah. She's using the word practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, practice is when we shake our fist at God and say, "Do it, man. I want God." Yeah, and that you practice know of sitting. Yes. Yeah. That's that. That's that habitual state of unrepentant sin. Looking at John chapter 15, this abiding language is the same word in the Greek. Jesus uses in the upper room when he talks about being the true vine and the Father is the vine dresser. Um, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. <coughs> Here we have that language of remaining. Um, abiders are ones who are born of God. Abiding involves clinging to what we've heard from the beginning, John says in chapter 2 of his letter. Abiding involves practicing righteousness. Abiding involves purifying ourselves as he is pure. Abiding involves um, confessing our sin, not making a habit of sinning and shaking our fist at God. Abiding involves being ones who live selflessly like Christ, who have God's nature of love within them. Um, what else do you think of when you think of abiding in God's presence and in, in his, his very self, yeah, and abiding in Christ? Rest. Yeah, rest. It means the same thing. It means stay. Um, I think about um, several dogs that we've had as a family growing up, and some of them were better at staying than the others. But I always felt bad. I always feel bad for a dog when they're trying to learn how to sit and stay because you're trying to make them stay away from their master. That's the hardest part. A good dog wants to come and be with his master, and so I almost don't fault a dog when they don't stay where they're supposed to stay according to the command because they want to follow their master. We're called to stay but not stay over there apart from our master. We're called to stay right by his side all day long, all day, every day. Again, for me, that image, forgive me for this being so palpably present in my mind recently, becoming a mother for the first time, I see that tie-in with my child almost like an unseen umbilical cord. The cord was cut and yet there is this bond, this invisible but beautiful bond that can never be broken that exists between me and her. I think of this bond, this um, closeness with God, this closeness with Jesus Christ, also in Jesus' words in Matthew um, 11, which are also part of our comfortable words. Thank you to Thomas Cranmer. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How is that for an image of being tied in with Jesus Christ in such a way that we cannot help but stay right there? Um, through faith in him, through his blood, we are tied into this um, relationship that cannot change with him. And yet part of that involves us wanting to be there. You know, we can we could resist it, and yet part of this new nature, this um, the Holy Spirit within us means that we long to be in his presence. We long to spend time with him through prayer, through studying the word by which we know who he is and how much he loves us. We long to be together in worship, to gather together as his body to praise his name. We long to call out to him. Um, any other thoughts about this? I have one last thing I want to close with, but I want to give you one more chance to um, ask a question or have a rebuttal. Yeah. yeah I mean, Yes. Yeah. So obviously we're not going to become part of the Trinity, but we're invited to share the life of the 
Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite ways of looking at that, Hannah, this life of the Trinity, is the way they, the way some people who talk about the Trinity talk about the incarnation. It's as though the Trinity is like this holy huddle of three persons united by love, um, made one, you know, one because of the unity of love and the divin- They're each div- divine, um, fully God. And yet, out it's it's as though instead of being a holy huddle turned in upon themselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are are facing outward, and they've got their backs to each other, um, because there's such intimacy there that they know what they're doing, even as they're facing out to the world in need. And so then, it, part of the incarnation is making love, making room within their relationship, uh, their bond of love, for us to be brought in, to be joined in through the incarnation and so the incarnation is almost like this opening up of a, of a holy huddle to bring us into the very center of God's heart to the very center of his life um, which is one of my favorite ways yeah, of looking at it because it makes the I want that holy huddle I need the holy huddle around me and there's that holy huddle of God Father Son and Holy Spirit existing abiding with me even as I abide with him and then there's also in a sense a holy huddle for all of us as Christians um, both, all of each one of us being tied into the Trinity through God's sacrificial love and sending Jesus to be born, to die, to rise, um, to giving us His Holy Spirit, and then together we have that kind of intimacy and community. Um, well, that's thank you, Hanno. I'm going to have to close because of time, um, but no, it's great. That was a great way to end. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your love for us. We praise you for your willingness to go and be born as a baby in Bethlehem, um, to draw us in, to um, make us uh, to be children of God through your blood and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us that sense of our identity in you, that we are beloved of God despite ourselves, that we are his children, that we are called to bear forth his nature to the world, his character of love and mercy to the world in need. And so we ask, Lord, once again, that you would work that miracle in our hearts this morning, that we would be transformed into your likeness, that we would receive you once again, that we would abide in you, and that we would show forth your nature to the world for your glory's sake. And in your name we ask. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.